This is CliffCentral.com. Fashion Lab on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Fashion Lab. My name is Liz Ogumba Regisford, your host, and thank you for tuning in to the Fashion Lab once again. Now, this is where we dissect the business behind fashion. And today we're going to be talking and touching base on the current situ on the ethical fashion uh, conversations within Africa and beyond. We are definitely going to be joined by a very special guest who I'll also be introducing shortly. Now, according to the Ethical Fashion Forum, uh, which is definitely an umbrella term to describe uh, ethical fashion, we can define it in so many ways. A lot of people say, what is ethical fashion? Ethical fashion uh, would include the design, production, retail, and purchasing. It covers a wide range of issues such as working conditions, exploitation, fair trade, sustainable production, the environment, and definitely also touches on animal welfare. Now, according to an article I came across on fashionhedge.com, the rise of fast fashion and media coverage of inhumane corporate practices have actually spanned a debate around today's fashion industry and the sustainability of the business model. So the terms ethical fashion, sustainable fashion, some people call it eco-fashion, describe an industry that actually emerged as an alternative to mass-produced clothing. And this is where the consumer has little or no visibility about environmental and labor corporate practices. So increasing consumer uh, concerns have definitely led to many global corporations to disclose the location of their factories, publish annual sustainability reports, but there are different opinions about what is really ethical and what it means in this context. I'm not going to kiss and tell because we definitely have a guest who will be joining us who's also very, very uh, alert and aware of what this means, what they're doing to be able to change the name of the game and still play in a very ethical way. So I want to go straight into um, introducing our contributors we're joined by Edgy Benson, who also runs NU New York with his Echoes from New York. Edgy, welcome to the show. How are you, Liz? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> what, what are you wearing and who made your clothes? And should I talk um, about your shirt and then so we can just move on? Like, can we just talk about what you're wearing on the upper part of your body? <laughs> top top half. <laughs> Man. Yeah, maybe you're right. But today, today I'm, I'm, well, today I'm, I'm wearing diesel, but I'm wearing a green, skinny diesel from, uh, from I, a new I, collection. I, 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 already, I already said, because I want to let our listeners know what you're wearing on the bottom. What are you wearing on the top, Edge? <laughs> so we can move to Fran. Uh, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a, a short winter jacket from Ari Soho. And a cardigan. Well, welcome to the show, Eddie. Today. It's good to... Because uh, it's cold out here. It's good to have you on the show. It's good to hear your voice. Thank you for your consistency. And welcome again uh, to the show. Now, we are also joined by our contributor, Francisca Marzilli, all the way from Lisbon with her echoes from Europe. Welcome to the show, Francisca. Hello, Liz. Hello there. I, <laughs> uh, fresh air is has come. Uh, also here, autumn is officially started, and uh, I'm wearing today uh, uh, boots, black boots, <laughs> black skirt, and uh, a black uh, shirt with a black cardigan, <laughs> and an orange, uh, um, an orange knitted scarf, but uh, knitted by me. <laughs> I want to uh-huh. point up this. 
<laughs> it took it, it's a very fine gauge so uh, it, it took uh, three years to to make it but uh, really now now it's here in my neck <laughs> you know what uh, well welcome to the show francisca you sound you sound a bit vibrant which is good um despite uh the weather or the season change but welcome and thank you for joining us once again it's always good to have you guys thank you now, for those of you who are tuned in, just a quick reminder to you, my favorite segment at the end of the show is called Who Would You Want to Dress and Why? So feel free to share with us your who's and your why's because that is our wind-down session. Now, keep your tweets coming. We are on Fashion Lab AF on Twitter. We are on Fashion Lab Africa on Instagram and Facebook. Share with us your thoughts. We definitely want to hear from you. Um, now, before we plug in our special guest, um, Edgy and Francisca, I hope that you're excited about this topic today because um, even though we touch yes. base on this, it's so important to continue to just kind of have this conversation um, once every few months to also just kind of remind us where we are going and how we are going to where we are going or our final destination. So I'm very excited to uh, be able to have this conversation today. And uh, I would just love to share your overall thoughts on kind of, you know, for you, Francisca, from a, from a European perspective, uh, what's yes. going on there, the conscience around uh, just people being a bit more ethical in the way that they play and trade. And then, Edgy, I'd love to hear your two cents before we uh, bring in our guest for today's show. Yes. I think, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Francis. Uh, from a European point of view, uh, today was approved uh, the, um, uh, the anti-dumping uh, normative uh, approved with uh, 554 uh, votes um, in favor, 40, 48 uh, uh, votes against, and uh, 80 abstentions uh, to uh, avoid unfair competition. Uh, uh, unfair competition. It was um, it, it's um, uh, a great day for a uh, united uh, uh, Europe, uh, even if. Uh, Possibly very late, very late because uh, uh, it, it's late, but it's, uh, it's, it's better late than never. Yes. And um, I can say that uh, as Italian, uh, I have a double nationality, so as Italian, I am a bit disappointed um, because uh, because uh, of this uh, of this uh, late this late approval. Uh, but uh, from a Portuguese point of view, I'm very excited because I, I, it matches uh, in uh, timing um, exactly this uh, positive wave that uh, invested the, the Portugal manufacturers in uh, fashion. So I have a double state of mind. Uh, I have an ambivalent uh, state of mind. So, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for that. I was going to say to you, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for that. Francisca, one thing I'll always say is progress is better than being stagnant. So for me, my thing is I always say that Absolutely. even if it's late, we still, let's just be excited about, about it. Maybe after the show, I'll yes. get you some wine and cheer you up. Okay. And then for Edgy, <laughs> yes, for Edgy, Edgy, what's your two cents, uh, around this topic before we get really deep? Um, with our special guest today. Yeah, I think for me, I'm just excited that we are speaking about it from an African perspective today. I mean, with someone who is actually doing it in Africa, mm. in Africa. So at least Africans can see that it's doable, that Africa is actually a place where it's also happening. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm proud of, of Europe. But I mean, in Africa, in, 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 in the U.S. right now, everything is stepping back, you know, like 
everything mm-hmm. that was done to protect the environment, which in effect affects how fashion is produced or informs mm-hmm. how we how we produce fashion, how we treat people in the industry. All of those things have been have been like kind of stepped back. Um, the U.S. is stepping away from all the things that encourage <laughs> ethical fashion in a sense, you know. So it's a bit shameful from this perspective, and I'm proud of Europe. Um, but the industry per se here is working very hard to make sure that, I mean, whether it's staff welfare or, or sustainability in, in the way that we treat um, uh, production and how, you know, how we, re- how we relate to the environment and what we do, I mean, the industry on its own is working very hard. So um, I'm happy on that part. Let's be happy. Let's, let's, all, yes. let's, all, let's all be happy. According to an article by an ethical fashion champion, her name is Safiya Maini. She actually talks about what retailers should be doing more, the impact of Modern Slavery Act and the importance of a fair supply chain. Now, when she was asked why creating ethical supply chains is so important, and obviously for those who are still thinking, why are we still dwelling on this topic? She says, we know supply chains are actually complicated, but if retailers can invest in segmented customer databases to maximize, maximize profits, then obviously we see no reason to make sure. I mean, they, they can do the same, find out how people are being treated at different points in their supply chains. So I think affordable technology is changing things for garment workers. Uh, with a cheap smartphone, it's now possible for a worker to take a photograph of unsafe working conditions, send it to a trade union. And obviously that prevents what we had to deal with, uh, like the Rana Plaza collapse in 2013. Now, if you think you can get away with murder today and you're in this industry and you're sitting there sipping on your wine or whatever you're doing right now, you're definitely living in a dream because you need to ask Zara what happened uh, when workers slipped in those yeah. things. And now you can see that you don't even have to, you don't have to, um, you can't, you can run, but you can't hide. If a worker slips those things in, that's your name. It's done. It's finished. It's a wrap. It's finished. Now I for you, like they say in Nigeria. But anyway, I want to come back to um, introduce our special guest who is co-founder and CEO of Ethical Apparel Africa. She definitely brings over 20 years of experience in sourcing merchandising uh, retail operations while living and working on three continents. Now, she started her career at Max & Spencer, followed by 17 years at George, and then the third lad- largest clothing retailer in the UK, now owned by Walmart. Now, she's launched and led George's Bangladesh sourcing office and managed annual exports. She's also developed and implemented a lean efficiency program with George partner factories that have actually lowered the cost of goods, improved factory profitability, also enabled higher take-home pay for workers. Now, her experience obviously includes a lot. She's worked internationally with the fair trade artisan textiles industry and also obviously developed factories in Africa for mass production. Allow me to welcome to the show founder and CEO of Ethical Apparel Africa, Karen Pibas. Am I pronouncing this well or did I kill it? 100%. Oh. You get full marks there. Thank you very much for the introduction. Welcome, welcome to the show, Karen. Welcome, Karen. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you all. And thank you for joining us. Karen, before you think you're exempt on this one, what are you wearing and who made your clothes before we get into the real talk? I am wearing a lot of jumpers. I'm currently in the north of England and it is very cold. 
Okay, we normally I say feel, feel creative enough And if you decide to change what you're wearing As we continue to flow in the show Feel free to This is a creative um, industry Where we just We roll with the creative flow But anyway, welcome to the show Thank you for taking time to join us today uh, Now Karen, can we just start by talking about Your need to feel uh, Or to be involved in fashion From a more conscious level Other than a lot of other players are doing today yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, over all the years of experience of working in the industry, I've always um, struggled with this thing of how do you get the most amount of money to the workers um, that are actually making the goods so that they can um, have fair wages for what they are doing. And there are so many steps in the supply chain from a buyer making a decision down to a worker making the goods and trying to understand like what really is ethical manufacturing and you know that's more than just passing a base code paying minimum wages um making sure a working place is safe but what is true ethical manufacturing and whilst i was working in bangladesh i think one of the things that really struck me was how much waste there is still in the processes from everything from communications and um the way that the brands operate ch- buyers changing their minds the last minute lead times getting crunched all the way through to inefficiencies within the factory setting and that um, factories can sit around and say, you know, unless the brands pay more money for things and we can't do this, this and this. But actually, I think that factories have got a responsibility themselves to create an environment that enables them to pay those fair wages and have empowerment programs and create the best place to work for their workers as well. So um, I... I guess I kind of took the challenge of um, what if ethical manufacturing, how I term it, um, so paying living wages and creating the best place to work and worker empowerment programs should be the normal way of doing things, not the exemption. And how do you get to that process? And that's what I've kind of set about trying to achieve um, through setting up Ethical Apparel Africa. It's very cool. I think now what I saw, obviously, is I've seen your team has experience in manufacturing in Mauritius, Bangladesh, China, Cambodia, Malaysia, Vietnam, South Africa, and Madagascar. Tell me what sets Mm -hmm. or tell us what sets these manufacturing markets apart, because obviously I'm sure there's different. The reason you have all of these different markets and how they play and how they trade must, there's got to be some difference in it. So I'm just curious about what sets these markets apart and then what value does this you know, the vast manufacturing experiences from all of these different markets, how does it add value to what you guys are doing or how you're contributing to the fashion value chain? Okay. So we picked Africa specifically because um, I've got a personal connection. I lived in Tanzania when I was 18. Um, I lived in Joburg for um, a couple of years whilst working for MassMart. Um, and I'm just really passionate about the continent and particularly around the people. And what I've found in factories in South Africa and in East and West Africa is a a real desire, particularly from African owners, to um, want to do things differently and want to work um, to create great environments and want to empower workers as they've gone along. So we've taken that as our kind of base trying to create something different rather than trying to change a system that already exists. But one of the things that um, holds African manufacturing back is its efficiency levels compared with um, the big manufacturing countries like Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, India, China. 
Um, the things just don't go down the line as fast enough, as fast as and as an efficient way as those countries. And that's where the competitive edge um, they need to increase. So by bringing in experts, particularly from countries that have um, understood where uh, an industry started and where it's gone to and being able to help factories get to a point where how do you make a process more efficient? And this isn't about workers, you know, busting a gut to work three times faster than they're working now. It's about putting processes in that enable things to be able to be made faster. So where's your cutting in relation to your sewing? When you're sitting on the machine and you're sewing a care label in, are you having to turn around at 90 degrees to find the care label, to put it down to where your needle point is to actually put it in? Or is there a way that that's right close to your needle point? Every two seconds saved on every single thing mounts up to being able to make that product faster at the end of the day. So being able to bring experts in from around the world that have worked in environments where they've had to do that to compete um, brings that level of expertise and, and understanding um, to those African factories. Wow, it's very good. Edgy mm. Francisca, do you have any um, input? I have a we... question. <clears throat> I have a question for the Karen. Um, mm-hmm. How can we define the uh, uh, ethical uh, apparel Africa? As the union, institution, certification, how can we... Um, Define it. <laughs> we are a sourcing. We are an ethical sourcing agency. So okay. what I ah, okay. didn't want to do was I didn't want to set up a consultancy that just went into factories and helped factories to develop. Um, mm-hmm. Because for me, then when you walk away, if that factory doesn't have orders going through it, um, or you can make something look beautiful and you can put all these programs on, but if they haven't got um, orders and mass production orders going through it. Um, yeah, if they're just making small quantities or stuff for the local market, they're never going to be able to really deliver on job creation and um, sustainable jobs. So by being a sourcing agent, what we do is um, one side of our business brings orders from international brands. So we find brands that want to manufacture in Africa or want to manufacture more ethically um, or want to take advantage of AGOA, the trade agreement with the US, whatever. And we um, match those to um, the right factories with the right skill sets. Um, in we specifically work in West Africa, and on the other side, um, we are then um, developing factories. So we take factories and we work alongside them. We're in those factories every single day, working alongside them, um, developing their technical skills, developing their social compliance, um, and everything else. Um, and in much more of a deep way than a lot of sourcing agents would do um, to get them ready to be able to make that international order. Hmm. It's a very, um, it's a, it's a, a huge, uh, a huge, uh, uh, how to say. A huge role uh, to take. Commitment. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pants. Yeah, because, because we, we make, uh, we make this uh, activity agency uh, of sourcing in Portugal and uh, in uh, between Portugal and Italy mostly. And I see that uh, it's a very, very uh, incredible amount of things to do. Uh, from the research of the right company, uh, the monitoring, how do they work, if they deliver well, how do they behave in the, in the, uh, in the course of the production. And, uh, and in the end, uh, if they have uh, credit to buy the right uh, 
the right fabrics uh, and uh, if they can support, uh, um, uh, for instance, uh, a late payment, uh, it's an important thing, thing to, to think about, to be concerned about when, uh, when uh, uh, you make uh, this kind of uh, activity. So... <laughs> Good luck, <laughs> and I have a, and a, and a, and a, um, congratulations, mostly yeah. congratulations for this. Yeah. Thank you. It it is a huge task, um, and yeah. I am so grateful for the incredible people that have come to work with us from all of those countries. You know, they work so hard and they're so passionate about the vision of trying to create factories where um, the workers' voice and um, their skills are respected um, within that working environment um, and yeah these are not easy countries to operate and live in but the people make the difference yes um, can I, 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 yeah go ahead, go ahead. no I was going to say like uh, to Karen it's such an aspirational thing what she's doing because mm. I think what Africa needs is just improving these efficiencies you know I mean for us, working like in China and in Indonesia and different countries, you you see these efficiencies, and they are not just driven by by they're actually not driven by people's desire to be uh, to to be ethically correct, you know, in the way that they produce. Mm -hmm. But they are mostly driven by the cost. Customers have grown to just enforce, like they want to know that what they are buying is is produced in a fair way. And it's informing the way the way manufacturers are also operating, you know. So, but in Africa, a lot of these things are not going through. You know, they're not seeping through the the, the works so that to the part where people actually can feel it. So, for her to be doing what she's doing in Africa, it's it's um, it's it's aspirational, and it's really going to help in terms of increasing efficiencies and just the the little minute things that people miss out. That people think don't affect um, the way the product turns out, like just having everything set, arranged in such a way that workflows very well. All of those things. I mean, you save time, and when the when the worker can go home early, it's it all improves their their life. So it's really cool. I'm 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 I'm, I'm thankful for what she's doing. Thank so you. yeah, so Karen, um, another mm -hmm. thing, another question. I'm just curious about. Do you actually think that Africa has the efficiency today to take over what Asia has been doing for years and years and years? And and if you do so, what what like what what do we see? Where do we see the future of this? Are we looking at like a ten year mark, or because obviously it's going to take a lot of time and resources um, to be able to make sure that we set certain. Uh, certain things into place to be able to make sure that this is actually the hub and the manufacturing hub that's taking over the world. Absolutely. I um, I think it very much depends on the model in the factory that are, are being put in. Um, and it is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I would say that to get the best long-term objective and to really um, make that change it's a more of a slow build but there are factories that are um, being brought up in Ethiopia um, where the expectation is that the we, they will very fast get up to the same efficiency levels most of those factories are foreign owned and invested um, so I think it it depends on on the model you've got it also depends on the volume of business that's going through that factory 
the more core consistency products that you can put in, um, the the better. We have a factory in Benin that we work with um, that makes shirts, and one of their biggest clients is actually making clergy shirts for the American market, um, which are fantastic because they are black with a white tab collar. They don't change in terms of fashion, and mm-hmm. we can just make them you know, all year round as consistency. There's complexity in them in terms of the number of sizes they come in, but from a, a core product, that is an underlying product which will help to keep that factory going whilst they are also making fashion shirts um, currently for the UK market on top, which obviously come in and out from a production point of view. So Their efficiency will end up being much better on the core clergy shirt than it will be on the fashion shirts. So what are some of the brands that you're working with right now? And are you looking to encourage more brands to actually get their manufacturing uh, set up and, and, and done in Africa? Or is it just that, you know, you just care about uh, trading and playing in an ethical way? So it doesn't matter if it's in Cambodia or if it's in Africa or if it's wherever. What What's your sentiment around yeah. where or so how, where to encourage? We are... Yeah, so we are Ethical Apparel Africa. We're only operational in Africa. And currently, um, as a business, we're only operational in Ghana and Benin. Um, I think there's other huge opportunities for West Africa um, in Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal, um, you know, potentially even Nigeria in the future. Um, and I think that for me, West Africa is still dominated by African-owned factories. And we only work with African-owned factories and because that's where we see the potential and that's where we see the ethical focus particularly. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a huge amount of um, countries in Africa. Um, you know, it's a huge continent and lots of places that we um, can go in the future as well um, with an industry that can really help people to get out of poverty. Um, one of our key focuses is the American market because of the AGOA agreement. Um, it means that um, you can buy from... Africa into America and save between 16 and 30% on duty, depending on the product type that you are buying, um, compared with other making in other countries around the world. Um, so that's a huge opportunity for Africa to compete whilst they're developing their efficiency levels um, up because you've got a price advantage straight away. Um, so we're working with brands in the States from fashion brands like Brooklyn Industries in New York to core brands like Hurley's Religious Goods, which make all the clergy wear. Um, obviously, most of my network is um, has been from the UK and from where I've worked there. Um, so working with um, brands in the UK as well. Um, but we're, And we are duty-free going into the UK, but so are many, many countries going into the UK duty-free. So from a competition point of view, it's slightly harder to compete on price to start with. The other opportunity is is um, for Africa is really um, to develop its textile business, which is a much bigger challenge because the costs involved in setting a textile business up are much higher than setting a sewing factory up. Um, but something like 85% of Africa's cotton gets exported out of Africa yes. um, rather than being converted within Africa due to lack of um, ginners and spinners and weavers and knitters. Um, within the country because you you need such a massive investment to do that well now and be able to compete on that side but I'm really excited about how that how if we can if we can generate enough manufacturing industry 
that requires enough fabric that there's enough then for somebody to be coming in and saying like they are already doing in ethiopia let's put up some of these plants Wow. <laughs> it's, 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 everything is sinking because it's, uh, I it's think a that's very... what we've always been saying. Go ahead, Edgy. No, I think that's what, that's the conversation we've had on this show several times about how fashion can attract, uh, outside investors by just proving that the, the, the volume is there, that the, it's worthwhile to have this investment, that the capacity is there for growth, you know? Um, I do, th- I do think that eventually, um, this, this will happen. Uh, I mean, with all that amount of cotton that we produce and with companies like Blisco and the rest really active in Africa, um, I think it, it, I think it's a matter of time before we can get to the point where we actually have, uh, these, these plants in Africa themselves. Wow. Silence. Silence. <laughs> yes, it's a lot. It's a lot to absorb. I mean, just basic facts like eighty-five percent uh, of our cotton getting exported just makes you wonder what what else is happening and how fast we can flip things around. Because obviously, we don't have to prove that there is capacity for growth. That's that's a sign. Um, mm. the key but thing I don't know, though. Textile, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. The, the key thing for a textile producer is they need to know that the investment which is millions and millions of dollars, is um, that there's enough manufacturing locally to use up the, pro- the, f- the fabric that they are making, basically. Yeah. Um, and yes. so, it, yeah, we need to focus on developing that manufacturing industry. And, yeah, if you look at what's happened in Ethiopia, they've had a fast growth of the manufacturing industry. And so because the government has supported it so well, you know, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a key link there for me between... Um, the electricity subsidies the government's done, the logistics that they're putting into that to that country to really help kickstart um, and welcoming big brands such as H&M and PVH in there to partner with them to build industrial parks and those kind of things. Um, mm. It's a good model from a government intervention point of view. I think that's the point I was trying to make. Like, um, what what is the, how how discernible is the relationship between the, the infrastructure we have, the designers and investors, you know, because this link has to be there. You know, there's enough capacity here. There's enough design activity and there's enough um, reason to, 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 to increase or to invest in the infrastructure because the design activity is there, the market activity is there. Sometimes I feel like there's a disconnect between these chains in Africa. And if the investors don't see opportunity, they're not going to come in. You know, I do feel like on our side, as players in the industry, we do have to have, like, we do have to have a, a, a need, you know, like a, a, a visible need for investors. Sometimes we hide it, we don't say anything, and uh, people don't come in, you know. But... The activity is, there's enough activity for investors to come in and help us. Yeah, I'm, I was gonna say the, the manufacturing locally, that's a bit of a challenge, not a challenge, but it's something to just think about and, and we have to figure out as an industry how we're gonna make it work because the truth of the matter is again, if we cannot be able to, if the manufacturing locally is not able to handle all this, that's why we have a lot of exports, but then how do we as the 
African fashion industry be able to start locking this in place, you know? Because I just think that generally when we look at manufacturing on, and how much manufacturing happens locally, we've got a lot of brands in the continent who are building, but I still think that a lot of brands are actually producing in such low quantities that I don't know. I don't know how big we're going to move and how fast to be able to get to that level. Uh, at the end of the day, if you don't have a uh, big demand, how are you going to overproduce? Why are you going to overproduce? So I'm just a bit like, I feel stuck just thinking about how, what brands are here. There are brands obviously who are constantly producing, but then what about the units? And if we want to keep this circulating as well to be able to really help develop the economy and keep everything locked and moving around, then how are we, how are we going to do this? The units are there, though. Remember, we are, we have the Agoa initiative, which, so if a company like Gap or Old Navy is producing their denims in Africa and they come here without, without, without the taxes, they are, the, the duties they are paying getting them out of China. I mean, that's, that's numbers. But that's you know? Gap. So the that's, numbers that's, are there. that's Gap. That's yeah. not, uh, Rubicon. Yeah. That's Gap. Yeah, but I mean, we're not going to produce only for ourselves. We're going to produce a lot of it outside, you know. I'm like, like just what Karen was just saying. They are making these these clergy garments that are coming to Af to America, you know. That's we, we we can't just produce for Africa. The whole idea is to be that competitive that anybody can produce with us. It, it doesn't matter where they live, you know, where the companies come from, mm. you know. But without infrastructure, we can't do that, you know. I think that uh, in this, uh, the big challenge is, um, it's, is, is really this, uh, the infrastructures. Uh, African continent needs this. And, uh, I think that, uh, every, everything you do in Africa is uh, slower, moves slower, is, uh, is more, uh, uh, you, you don't have the facilities you have in the USA or, uh, or in mm -hmm. Europe. But it's not it's simply not, the connections, the, the transports. Uh, I think it's it's very it's a it's a very long uh, long way to to do. But it's not just the hard infrastructure, though. Soft infrastructure, like what Karen is doing, that's soft infrastructure, mm -hmm. providing mm -hmm. the knowledge and the efficiency. That is that yeah. is something that we can we can add. You know, it doesn't have to be hard infrastructure, electricity, roads, whatever, but it can be soft infrastructure like knowledge and, efe and creating efficiencies, mm. those kinds of things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think it's also looking at countries like Bangladesh that, you know, in 30 to 40 years have really developed an industry from pretty much nothing with no local market. Mm. Yeah, everything was, everything they make is basically from export. Um, and yet we've got the advantage in Africa of a growing local market and growing retail markets um, and that the inter-country trade needs to also you know, step up in certain areas as well, um, plus then the, the export market. And if you look at things like AGOA being able to add that, it's really down to how can you convince brands to come to Africa and to take that risk of, of moving to a new continent um, to make and what are the measures that you can put into place to help that and I think that's where you know, the Ethiopian government has done a good job in terms of working alongside the brands and effectively 
underwriting the risk by being committed to the industry. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I still think that Africa definitely is still one of the fastest growing regions in the world and we are growing either way. So I think that everything's going to fall into place as we move and as we are conscious about it. I think the uh, ethical um, conversation is still very exciting for me. And uh, I think, Karen, one of the things I'm just curious about, where do you see or where do you see the future of Africa when it comes to uh, manufacturing and when it just comes to being that hub? That, that, you know, we've got all these eyeballs on Africa now. Where do you see the future for African fashion? Um, I, from an African manufacturing point of view, I don't see any reason why it won't be competing on the world stage from a manufacturing perspective. Um, everything, all of the composite base parts are there for it to be able to do that. Um, and the only thing that, you know, there shouldn't be anything that would stop that happening. But I do think it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And if you try and do it too quickly and you mess up and you ruin your, that relationship with the brand, then they they will be, be burnt and they won't come back again easily. So it is about building slowly. You know, with all our brands that we work with, we encourage them to trial first of all. Yeah, they're like, we want to give you 50,000 pieces. That's great. But give me 5,000 to start with, let me try it, let me prove it, let me go forward with it. Mm-hmm. And that's why, honestly, I'm focused on not high fashion in what we're doing because there's too much risk in that. There's too much fit critical, um, there's too much change that happens all the time. There's too much change from a buyer's <laughs> point of view. Um, actually, let's start them off with core products that they're, you know, we're focusing on workwear uniforms, corporate wear, things that they have made for the local market that actually they can make for export. Um, and a fab, you know, being able to source really good fabrics from outside the country's continent to be able to do that is key. But start slowly, build your relationships, and don't try and dive in too quickly. Karen, what would you say are your key points for some of those people who are still wondering how do we position every day uh, you have a new brand saying I'm sustainable or I'm ethical? Um, could you just redefine, according to Karen, what are some of these key points that sets a business or brand apart and puts you under that category? Because I feel like the word ethical was abused a long time and has still been abused eco fashion you know you've got everyone up the street talking about yeah they are eco friendly you know so could you just just share with us uh, as an expert um on this um conversation what sort of key points would position a brand uh, uh, you know business as as ethical absolutely this is my personal view and how i look at what i'm purchasing is that for me, um, a brand that is manufacturing out overseas or even within the country, you know, the British clothing industry has had its fair share of issues from a manufacturing point of view. But you need to be on the ground or have a trusted partner that is on the ground all the time that can be walking into those factories every single day unannounced um, and to see what's going on um, and to develop that level of trust with those factories so that they don't um, need to go off and subcontract. They don't need to, to um, behave badly with their workers and those kind of things. So having somebody on the ground, um, either their own people or a trusted agent like ourselves that is actually in and out of the factories all day 
um, monitoring exactly what's going on is a, is a key thing for me in terms of how that is. And then partnering with that factory on development programs that are right for the right factory for the right place. You know, everybody says to me, oh, you're working in Africa, you must have an HIV program in your factories. Um, and I say, actually, no, because we're in West Africa. And um, thankfully, the HIV prevalence is actually pretty low in West Africa. But malaria is a really big issue. And malaria will be my biggest issue from an absenteeism point of view. So there's, you know, my focus needs to be on putting malaria prevention programs in, um, in specifically in the countries that I'm working in um, as a priority. Um, so it's making sure that what you're doing in those factories is relevant to those workers and that you're not just putting something in because you think, oh, it's a, this, everybody needs a women's literacy program without actually checking whether the women are literate already. You know, in West Africa, um, most of the factories we work with are actually run by women and owned by women, um, very empowered women. Um, and, you know, I don't have a male dominant environment from a factory management mm-hmm. point of view. Um, so it's about finding the right things for the right factories in the right place and being on the ground, I would say. It's good for those who are tuned in. I have a, that's awesome. Yeah, I have a, uh, one more question about the monitoring uh, topic uh, mm-hmm. for the caring. Um, with the, the today approval from the European Parliament, Uh, commission uh, will observe in loco the companies and they, uh, their way to manage the processes uh, of uh, production. I ask, will you, uh, would, uh, would you see in your future to have uh, an agreement uh, with, uh, with uh, the, the, the European uh, Parliament to support this activity of uh, monitoring in loco for African suppliers? Um, I haven't read that report specifically so i'd have to go and um, look at it um we are always looking for um partnerships in that sense i think a lot of factories suffer from audit fatigue with many people uh, many different brands all wanting different audits i remember going to one factory that had three fire extinguishers on one wall all at different levels and i said you know why why have you got three fire extinguishers in there and they said well because the different brands determine that the fire extinguishers need to be put on the walls at different levels. And so instead mm. of trying to move the fire extinguisher around every time we have an audit, we just put three fire extinguishers up instead because it's easier. Then we know we'll pass the audit. And, it, you know, just ridiculous things like that. And so our approach is um, that um, auditing and that kind of thing needs to be about continuous assessment. Um, we have a very, very comprehensive, detailed assessment that we go through with the factories and a corrective action plan that works on every single point, but also gives them a vision of where they can get to on each element of that, right down to, you know, offering water, filtered water for people to drink through to, you know, how wages are paid, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're currently working with the Social and Labour Convergence Project, which is a is trying to get brands together to look at a different way of assessing factories that is based on trust, where a factories submit what they are doing and then that is then verified by the assessor as opposed to the assessor's kind of tick box auditing and saying yes, no, yes, no, fail, pass, and is a much more progressive way at looking at improvements within factories um, and working with factories on the ground and partnering with them to improve so they can see why they're doing things rather than 
creating canteens for people because that's what somebody's decided to do when actually 80% of the workforce go home for lunchtime because they live close by. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's yeah. been yeah, it's been such a very uh, great conversation, a lot of insights, a lot of information as well, Karen. We really appreciate you uh, joining us as well to just share with us what you guys are doing and where you see us going um, as a continent um, in this uh, beautiful industry. For those who are tuned in, we've been speaking ethical fashion, and we've been joined by Karen Paibas. And we've just been talking about, you know, what's ethical. I mean, think about sustainable processes uh, when it comes to your fabrication as a brand. I mean, and think about it also that after oil, the fashion industry is the second largest polluter in this environment. So you have to be a bit conscious. Think about your wa- the workers' wages. Think about, you know, sustainability that also comes and plays in each stage of a garment's life. You know, things like organic cotton, which a lot of brands are still using. People don't know that, you know, organic cotton is grown with like I mean, real cotton is grown with so much harsh pesticides. And when you flip and think about your organic cotton, then you're definitely doing so much, much good. So I think it's just about your conscience. It's about your research. It's about understanding what you're doing, how, what you're using, the chemicals that are going into your processes. Think about the ethical side. Think about the people and the workers you work for. There's so many things to think about. So I think uh, it's also about us having these conversations to give some insight and then hoping that when you go back uh, to your base or when you go back to your work program, you can actually be a bit more conscious and just think about how to play and how to trade better, um, especially ethically. So anyway, Karen, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, website, uh, social media handles. Um, so our website is www.ethicalapparelafrica.com. Um, if anybody's interested in manufacturing in West Africa, we have a minimum order quantity of 500 pieces because we are trying to work at that bulk end in that sense. Um, and my um, Twitter handle is at Karen Long, which is my previous name. Um, not quite ever worked out how to change it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of these platforms. So cool. Yeah, some of these platforms right. don't allow you to change. But you know, it's really been a nice uh, um, opportunity to connect with you, Karen. We wish you all the best. Congratulations in what you're doing. You definitely uh, have taken responsibility and put on the big pants that not everyone are able to put on. And before we uh, wind up on this show, we've got our beautiful last segment called "Who Would You Want to Dress and Why?" Tinglingling. So, yeah, there you go. So we're going to start with Francisca. Uh, who would you want to dress and why? And we'll take it around. Today, I would like to dress uh, to make the wardrobe entirely, entirely of the, of the, uh, how to name it? Uh, the 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 first lady of the USA because uh, it's not uh, it's not Melania Trump it's not because uh, she is uh, badly dressed but because she should use US uh, labels. <laughs> I saw her in Gucci in a Gucci in a Gucci dress and uh, in China and. Uh, she should be the first ambassador of uh, of the oh, US. Uh, this is really US hard. Fashion. This is very hard. I'm now starting to sympathize with Melania. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, Edgy, who would you want to dress? I, I forgot the name. <laughs> Edgy, who would you want to dress and why? I am so stuck at Melania Trump. I lost my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. 
I'm not so sure who I want to dress now because I'm just so lost at the moment. Okay, well, we'll <laughs> we will go straight to Karen. Karen, who would you want to dress and why, given the opportunity? That's a really hard question. I'm a I'm a manufacturer. I'm definitely not a stylist. Um, I probably would probably need to learn to dress myself first of all before I offered anybody else any styling tips. So maybe uh, the the uh, thing for you guys is actually to dress me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> See, Karen just solved my problem. Yeah, there you go. I saw you were struggling there, so you know you can, you can dress her. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so, so well, I would want to dress two people. Now I'm going to dress Karen so she can learn how to dress other people. That's one reason for sure. And then I'm interested in dressing again. I've done this before, but Isabella dos Santos, I would definitely want to dress her. This is a woman who's been deemed Africa's richest woman. She's an Angolan businesswoman. Yeah. And yesterday, I just first of all want to wish all the Angolans happy Independence Day because I mean, for anyone to pull out Madame dos Santos out of place and displace things yes, the way they did, awesome. I think I think the president of the current president of Angola is not even playing. So I want to dress Isabella, hoping that I could dress her in some. Uh, sustainable uh, fashion uh, on her way out and hmm. maybe to inspire a new business model for her to something to do something else to do besides being in the positions that she's been in but anyway it's been a fantastic show for those who are listening we are on fashionlabafrica.com uh, reach out to us at info at fashionlabafrica.com if you want to uh, share your thoughts if you want uh, certain subject matters uh, to be dissected in our lab here or whatever it is that you want. But, uh, Francisca, we definitely appreciate your presence in the house. Thank you for joining us. Edgy, we also appreciate you. your presence. And for those who are at home, be safe, do what you need to do, uh, and just think about playing in 2018 in a different way. Think ethical and, uh, hopefully we can save the world. <laughs> Otherwise, it is peace and love until next week.